0: On this Palm Passion Sunday, we are turning to the Gospel of John, the 19th chapter. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10, and then I've added a few, the second part of 16 through 22. I invite you to listen for God's living word. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the religious leaders and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he is claimed to be the son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify crucify you? 16. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the religious leaders of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I'm king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written I have written." This is the word of the Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate. Today on this Palm Sunday that has now shifted into passion, we continue to work our way through the Apostles' Creed. Last Sunday, Pastor Joe spoke about the power of having Mary's name, her personhood, as a part of this creed and some of what that means to all of us. But what I realized this week is that one other historical figure is also named Pilate. Now, notice we do not hear about Moses or Abraham or Peter or Paul, just Mary and Pilate good and evil, sitting side by side every week. How could I have missed that before? But before we can explore that stunning dichotomy more fully in a time when, as numerous news outlets have been recently reporting, anti-Semitic attacks have hit an all-time high in our country, we need to again remind ourselves of what the Gospel of John means when it talks about, quote, the Jews. Let's first say what it does not mean. This Gospel is not saying that Jewish people are the enemy of Christian people. Jesus was a Jewish man, full stop. Furthermore, this Gospel is not saying that all the Jewish people killed Jesus. There is not some universal stain against all those who shared Jesus' Jewish religious tradition. We have to say that part out loud because as you know, the Christian church has an awful and violent history of using this particular gospel as a rationale for being anti-Semitic and for committing violent acts against Jewish people. In our collective history, Good Friday has become a day on which Christian violence against Jewish people greatly increased. And this is why again and again as Christians, we must say, No to such a dangerous, violent misinterpretation. For when we sink down into the gospel of John and get a fuller understanding of the historical period in which it was written, we discover that this gospel writer was addressing his own Jewish Christian religious community, which had been expelled by the synagogue for reasons that are not entirely known. Yet Jewish New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine claims there were a variety of good reasons that would have led to their expulsion. For example, she writes, considering this gospel was probably written down around the year 90 CE, it might have been that Jews feared being associated with Christians, even Jewish Christians, because they could be rounded up and persecuted alongside them. Harvard Divinity Professor Francois Beauvan expands on Dr. Levine's theory by focusing on the actions of the Jewish religious leaders in this Gospel of John. He reflects how, in chapter 11, they basically stated that if they kept letting Jesus go unchecked, then inevitably his preaching, his ability to gather crowds, and his proclamation that God's kingdom was arriving in him would strongly provoke Rome. And in response to that kind of provocation, the Romans would undoubtedly try to destroy the Jewish people's holy places as well as their entire nation. In other words, he posits the Jewish religious leaders portrayed in this gospel had very good reasons for wishing to retain order and to avoid any further disturbance instigated by Jesus. They were afraid for their people. Part of their task, then, was to do their very best to keep them out of Rome's crosshairs. And to them, that meant they had to get rid of the threat—they had to get rid of Jesus. Regardless of their reasons, though, the expulsion clearly angered the gospel writer a great deal—an anger we see expressed in his generalized language about, quote, the Jews. Frankly, John's language sounds like reactionary rhetoric something we understand far too well in our own day and time. Clearly, the gospel writer was angry with those whom he felt had betrayed him and his community. But what about Pontius Pilate? We can easily imagine the gospel writer was angry with him, too. The early church must have been to include his name in the Apostles' Creed, a liturgical marker to signal his participation in the crucifixion of Jesus. So here's what we know about Pilate. He was the Roman regional governor of Judea from 26 to 36 CE. It's worth noting that a lot was expected from those governors in terms of keeping the people in line and loyalty to Rome strong. Roman functionaries who did not do their job to Rome's satisfaction could be called to come to Rome to answer for their shortcomings. Sometimes, if someone wasn't doing their job well enough in Rome's eyes, a soldier was simply dispatched to spare Rome the trouble to go ahead and end the governor's life. So while someone in Pilate's position might enjoy a great deal of wealth and privilege, the specter of Rome always loomed large, and fortunes could shift like the wind. Yet before we start feeling sympathetic for Pilate, we should also know that he is described by non-biblical sources, both Jewish and Roman, as a harsh and mean-spirited ruler who disdained his Jewish subjects. His role in the trial and crucifixion of Jesus are well-documented, not just here in John's gospel, but in all of them, along with outside sources. So while we can't say for certain what his motives were in reference to Jesus, whether he was patently cruel or a bureaucrat caught between a Roman rock and a moral hard place, at the very least, he was a man with a certain amount of power who had the opportunity to show mercy— but who did not have the inclination. Now, I do think we have some clues about his motives that we see in the text I just read. One primary clue is that he put a sign on the cross of Jesus, the state's tool of execution. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And he had it written in all three common languages so that everyone, no matter who they were, could read it. It was a sign meant to mock the Jewish people and their messianic hopes. It was a sign meant to ridicule the common rabbi named Jesus and his willingness to suffer such a humiliating, undignified, violent death. It was a sign writ large for anyone to see and for all to understand. Now, of course, Pilate did not realize that what he was announcing to all the world is actually true, that Jesus is Lord, Savior of this broken world. No, to Pilate, the sign was just one more way he could ridicule and scare all those he felt were beneath him, while at the same time pandering to the Roman government to increase his own value to them. Yet there he is. Right there in this ancient liturgical creed of the Church, I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And as I've pondered that throughout this week, I've wondered if part of the reason the early Church included Pilate's name was not simply to mark his role in the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus, but also to acknowledge that in some ways they were still suffering under Pontius Pilate. Maybe they imagined that we would also still be suffering under Pontius Pilate. Because let's be honest, there are some days on which it sure feels like Pilate, an actual historical figure who now symbolizes greed, a lust for power regardless of who gets hurt, a desire to use whatever it takes to maintain one's own status, a person placed in the position of authority who regularly abuses the public's trust, that kind of pilot, it seems sometimes is winning. The New Testament would call all that pilot symbolizes the powers and the principalities, the spiritual sludge that still lurks in our world even as God continues to work God's own purposes out. This past Friday, the first memorial service was held for one of the children killed at the Covenant School in Nashville. Yesterday, two other services were held at Covenant Presbyterian Church, one for the senior pastor's nine-year-old daughter. I hope he did not have to preach it. Another service will be held this afternoon at the church for another child. And the final two memorial services will take place on Tuesday. Day after day in Nashville, they are burying babies and dedicated school staff. And though I doubt it will be made public, the shooter's parents will also have to bury their own child as they are left to wrestle with all the damage that's been done. In 2022, the number one cause of death for our children and youth was gun related accidents and violence not motor vehicle accidents like it used to be because we now mandate seat belts and car seats, guns. And in 30 years, only one bipartisan gun control has been passed. Every time there's a mass shooting, especially when it's at a school, I know to expect a text from my college senior daughter. This time it was a phone call, Mom, they were nine years old. I know, sweetie, I'm so sorry was the only thing I knew to say. She's told me before that she and her friends live with an assumption that at some point it will happen to them or to people that they know. Our children are still suffering under Pontius Pilate. What do we do in the face of all of it? Pray? Absolutely. Yet, as conservative columnist David French wrote in the New York Times this past week, For the faithful believer, prayer isn't a substitute for action. It's a prerequisite for action. It grounds us before we move to serve others. It grounds us before we speak in the public square. God have mercy, we ask. Lord have mercy, we plead. But then he continued, we must act to heal wounded hearts, to bear one another's burdens, and to address the terrible scourge of violence that scars our land. End quote. Now I'm not going to stand here and tell you what your actions need to be. I trust your prayerful discernment. But I believe there was a reason why the early church named Pilate and put him right beside Mary that goes beyond simply locating Jesus in a particular time and historical space. A reason that goes beyond tying him to the death of our Lord. I think they named Pilate to serve as a liturgical marker. A way to remind us every time we say the creed that because of Jesus, the Very one we will follow to the table and to the cross and to the empty tomb during this holy week because of the one who is our brother and our Savior and the promise of God's constant presence. We know through him, because of the one we call Jesus our Christ, we have the holy power to stand up to Pilate. We have the holy power to stand up to greed. We have the holy power to stand up to the lust for power over no matter the cost. We have the holy power to stand up and to act out on behalf of those whose little voices are not yet strong enough to be heard or for those whose voices have been far long too silenced. In the end, as we will mark next Sunday on Easter, we know that Pilate did not and will not have the last word. Only God does. And indeed that word will be a word of life and healing and creation. But that does not mean that we do not have an active part to play to ease the suffering that still happens under Pontius Pilate. We have the holy power to do so. So every time we say his name in that ancient creed May we remember that charge, that call, that commission. And may God give us courage. I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. May his name now become code for us to pray always and to act. Amen.